Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Every so often, something comes along to answer the promise of this medium. The idea that you can use sound to tell evocative, inventive stories that play with subjectivity. Narratives that can deliver us, the listeners, right into a character's mind. Well, we've got that. We're playing the stupendous episode 50 of The Bright Sessions, followed by an interview with Lauren Shippen, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. We are playing episode 50 of The Bright Sessions, the incandescent project of writer-director-actor Lauren Shippen. We featured the show in June of 2016, in episode 437. If you haven't heard it, The Bright Sessions is a show about Joan Bright, a psychotherapist whose patients all have supernatural abilities. Bright advertises her services as therapy for the strange and unusual. Her patients are known as atypicals, and some of the more dangerous ones are monitored by an agency called the AM. It's been a long road since those initial episodes. The show has expanded well beyond the walls of Dr. Bright's office, beyond the constraints of her digital recorder, and beyond the classical unities of time, space, and action. Lauren took on a sound designer, Misha Stanton, whose name should not be unfamiliar to you, I think, listeners. They're involved with so many shows we featured on RDR, The Bright Sessions, Ars Paradoxica, and The Far Meridian. Collaborating with Stanton and with show composer Evan Cunningham, Shippen has made something really elegant, compelling, heartbreaking, and cool. A musical episode. Now, this episode is going to have significantly less impact if you don't have the story context, so I really would recommend catching up with the audio drama before listening. This is episode 50, so it's kind of momentous and climactic. If you don't feel like doing that, I mean, look, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I definitely will recommend that you listen to this episode in context, or it's just not going to mean as much to you. If you still want to plow ahead, though, let me tell you this. The first character we'll hear from is Rose, an atypical with the ability to enter the dreams of others. She's over at a friend's house, where a group of atypical pals have just concluded a classic movie marathon. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 50 of The Bright Sessions. Rose. Before we begin, we'd like to thank Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com therapy and using promo code therapy at checkout. But first, our 50th episode of The Bright Sessions. And for this one, you'll want to listen all the way to the very end. It starts like any other night, like 
any other dream it pulls me in and then like nothing else in life like no one's ever seen I go deeper in and suddenly a flash of white light bursts around the edges of my eyes the feeling grows and then I know I'm inside I'm inside someone else's mind through the looking glass I go into a I guess we're doing musicals tonight. It wouldn't be the first time. Agent Green, what are you doing here? You tell me. Oh, this is my dream. I would have thought that would have been fairly obvious. 
Yeah, well, waking up into a dream and immediately bursting into song would disorient anyone. You're snarkier in my dreams anymore in real life. You're just realizing this? See? Snarkier. I think you want me, the real me, to stand up for himself more. Myself. Hmm. Don't worry about it. Things rarely make sense in here. And can you blame me? I've been inside Agent Green's head. He's not a bad guy, just... Spineless? You said it first. Actually, you did. I'm you, remember? Whatever. So, are we going walking tonight? Where are we again? Sam's house. Oh, right. That explains the song and dance. We were watching old musicals. I must have fallen asleep. I wonder if anyone else is... Yeah, I can feel the edges of Sam and Caleb at least, and I think Mark is beginning to doze too. So we are going wandering. Might as well, right? I definitely want to get to know these people. You don't trust them? I don't know them. I mean, they seem all right, but so did Damien when I first met him, and apparently I was way off on that. It's just... This is a lot more complicated than I expected it to be. You know, I know the AM could be kind of ineffective, but I didn't think they could be evil. Atypicals have never scared me before, so I just want to make sure I know what I'm getting myself into with these people. Very well. You're coming? You like having me around when it comes to other atypicals. Your family excluded, of course. I think it makes you feel comfortable to have an atypical authority around to bounce your thoughts off of. Don't psychoanalyze me. That's all you do in here. Yeah, well, I don't like when it's turned on myself. It's you doing it. Yeah, well, it's just weird hearing it said out loud. Okay, you ready? Through the looking glass we go. Oh, hush up. Okay, I don't know what you think you're seeing, but that is totally crooked. No, it's not. Okay, it is. It's artistic? Okay, okay. You stand back this time and I will hang it. Are we sure about this color? Oh, no. Don't tell me you're changing your mind about the paint again. I don't know. I'm beginning to think that the salmon might have been the better call. Oh, my God. You're going to want to change the walls every three months, aren't you? Hey, this is what you signed up for when you agreed to move in with me. I don't think that's totally fair. You failed to inform me that you had such strong interior design opinions. I wasn't expecting someone so high maintenance. Oh, man. I really had you fooled on that one, didn't I? Made you think I was this totally chill guy who wouldn't spend four hours staring at paint swatches. How could I have been so naive? Guess I'm just stuck with you now. Ooh, I think Mark just fell asleep. I mean, I could leave if you want. He seems pretty awake to me. No, no, that's all right. I'll muddle through somehow. No, the real Mark. Is this not... It's a hardship, I know. This is Sam's dream, I'm pretty sure. But someone has to do it, and I'm willing to make the sacrifice for humanity. See how she's just a little bit more put together than normal? Perfect hair, no bags on her eyes. That's very magnanimous of you. Yes. I'm really quite extraordinary. Everyone has dream versions of themselves. That you are. Is that why you're two inches taller? This is why no one likes you. <laughs> it's nice, though. Mark looks exactly the same. No. And that means... She doesn't want him to be anyone else. That's love, I guess. You're 19. You know everything about the world? This world, at least. Come on, let's go pop into Mark's head. Wow. Where are we? I don't know. Could be a real place. Could be something made up in Mark's brain. Could be a little bit of both. God, look at all that green. Wonderful. Come on, Joni, just one picture. I thought we were past this particularly annoying stage of your life. I'm a professional photographer. This stage is the whole thing. I meant the stage where you make me the subject. Just get in here, Joan, and maybe we can finally eat. Hey, you're going to be thanking me for this 50 years from now, because we're all going to be sitting out on the porch, looking at photo albums, and you're going to say, gosh, that was such a nice day we had. I'm sure glad Mark insisted on taking pictures. 
so that we could remember that day and what we used to look like and how windy it was. People even have photo albums anymore? Just shut up and smile, you. Are we done? Can't rush the artistic process, Joni. <laughs> it's a good thing he's cute, isn't it? You really could do so much better, Sam. Hey, I heard that. I know. I think I'm a catch. You are. See? Sam agrees. That's all that matters. Okay, this is sweet, but we still have at least one more person to check on. run over. No, you didn't. They would have run right through you. Excuse me for reacting to a herd of football players barreling towards me. God, I think we'll leave Caleb for a bit. Not a football fan? Not if I'm in the game, no. All right, well, that's everyone, right? Should we just wake up now? No, let's hang around. You know how fast dreams can change. Maybe we'll find something interesting. Or maybe someone else will fall asleep. You mean Dr. Bright, don't you? I'm just curious about her. Anyone in my position would be. Sure, sure. I wouldn't count on it, though. Dr. Bright knows what you're capable of. I don't think she'd put herself in that position. Everyone here knows what I can do. True. But do you really think Dr. Bright would let her guard down? I guess not. Still, we could... I thought you said you weren't going into waking brains anymore. It's not like you learn much anyway. Subconsciouses are messy. I know, but I bet Dr. Bright's isn't. Rose, you're not... Mark is barely keeping it. Wadsworth is up to something much. She's not sleeping. She'll never stop. I don't know what to do. I have no access to the AM. I'm barely keeping my doors open myself. I have to find more patients. Separate from the AM. is approaching this the right way. Better even better. Jeez, what on earth? Guess you were wrong about her subconscious not being messy. Yeah, no kidding. God, I never would have imagined she was dealing with so much anxiety all the time. After all this time, how are you still surprised by what goes on in people's heads? You know it's usually pretty different than what they present on the surface. Yeah, I know, but still, that was rough. Are you ready to leave now? No, come on, one more round. Rose, I really think that... Is this Sam's dream again? I think so. Is it just me, or did it get a lot darker here? Mark? Joan? Is anyone here? What happened? I don't understand. The dream changed. Mark? Don't give me that look. It's not like I want anyone to have a nightmare or anything. Is that what this is? It's beginning to feel like it. Mark, where are you? Well then, do something! Isn't that the point? Make new thoughts? Bring Mark back! I can't! I don't know Mark well enough to make a dream version of him for Sam, and I don't really know Sam well enough to know what she'd find comforting. This may not have been a very well-thought-out plan, after all. You think? Mark, why aren't you answering? No, keep looking, Sam. I'm sure you'll find him. She can't hear you. I know, but I don't know why she stopped and why everything's gone all gray. Please, talk to me. Can you bring the color back? What, like Wizard of Oz? No, I don't think I can. Mark? Do something! I don't know what to do. I don't know why she's giving up. Well, the silence is freaking me out. Let's go somewhere else. No, not yet. Maybe... There. Maybe that will... Whoa. Did Sam just... No, I don't think so. Not not for real. We're still at the house. Just... The dream changed. Is this the same place as Mark's dream? I never dreamed, I never hoped. There never was the time. I never dared, I never tried. To yearn for something that never could be mine. 
it never will be mine. It's about survival, Sam. Never let down your guard. It's about persistence, Sam. Keep your eye on the horizon. Don't be foolish. That's what I'd say. Don't go fooling yourself. You can't be like everyone else. The impossible happens every day. No matter what you do, it won't go away. Don't ask for more. Then what are you waiting for? I never thought, I never dreamed, I'd meet someone like you. I never dared you'd look my way, and I'd be a But you persisted, Mark, and I tried to keep you safe from harm. And you survived it, Mark, to fall straight into my arms. Don't be foolish, this feeling won't last. Don't go fooling yourself, he's just like everyone else. He'll soon be in your past. The impossible happens every day. No matter what you do, it won't go away. Don't ask for more. Then what is he waiting for? Why does he stay? How has he not run away with what he knows? How can this be what he Makes me want to be foolish. He makes me want to believe. But how can I know that he won't go? Make a fool out of me. Do that? What? Make her sing? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe my dream is bleeding into hers a bit, or maybe I carried it with me, the music. We could have so much fun with this. See? Now you're getting the idea. Though it doesn't look like Sam's having any fun. No, I don't think she is. This is the same place that Mark was dreaming about, isn't it? It must be a real place, somewhere important to them. Whatever it is, it's beautiful. Just look at all those stars. Do we think it's a good memory or a bad one? Mark seemed happy here, but Sam... I'm not sure. 
I think Sam was hoping to find Mark here, maybe. I mean, can you feel that? The longing? Yes. But he's right here. I mean, in the real world, he's right next to her. I know, I don't get it. Sam and Mark seem so solid. Surface versus what lies beneath, Rose. They do not always match up. I know, but God, if Sam and Mark can't make it work, two atypicals who actually share an ability, how do I have any hope? Maybe it's harder with two atypicals. Mom and Dad make it work. Then maybe it's just hard because of who they are. Sam clearly has some serious abandonment issues. Don't be rude about it. She was technically orphaned. Oh, right. But hey, Caleb and Adam seem to make it work. One atypical, one non-atypical. They seem happy. True. Jeez, warn a guy first. Sorry, I didn't really mean to. I just was thinking about Caleb and sort of slipped. Looks like they won. Hey, Michaels. Good game. Adam, you came. Of course I came. You know I love a good sports game. (laughs) It's all right. You can admit it. You just like seeing me in my uniform. Yo, good game, Michaels. Clearly, I'm not the only one. It doesn't bother you, does it? Ah, I think it's nice that you have all these adoring fans. (laughs) Dork. Meathead. Soon this will be you. You're going to be so popular at Yale, king of the dorks. Yeah, well, you'll be off using your superpower on a whole different group of people. Changing the world and all that. Whatever. Come on, let's get out of here. You don't want to celebrate with the team? No. Who needs anyone else when I got you? (laughs) What? Why are you smiling? It's just... You keep surprising me, is all. Nope. I'm pretty sure that's your job. I can never keep up. You're a puzzle, a painting, a Shakespeare play. I understand you half the time. Whatever's going on inside your head, I know your heart and that thing's mine. You're the only one who's two steps ahead. You always keep me on my toes. Well, that's because you're short. You're always there with me at my highest highs. And you don't run away when I hit my lows. We'll be together, hand in hand. Just you and me against the world. Just you and me standing together, no matter what the future holds. Some people are having fun. Yeah, for now. Things are better when there's no one else. Things are clear when we're alone. We could run away and leave this all behind. You got my heart, you got my soul. Running away, let's do it. Keep me sane Let's get away from all this din Fancy word Shut up <laughs> And with you by my side To keep me green I can't do anything but win We'll be together Hand in hand Just you and me against the world Just you and me standing together, no matter what the future.
future. No, wait, wait, stop. I can't go there yet. What are you talking about? The future. I, I, I can't... I can't promise that. I don't know how to give you the future you need. You need puzzles, paintings, Shakespeare plays. I can't be all of that for you. When it's just you and me, and no one else, you don't see all that I can't do. You're two steps ahead and always out of sync. A different wavelength from the world. You're special and I'm me will never understand what it's like to be you I'm just me something different altogether you live in a different world just you and me each a separate entity no matter how tightly we hold No matter how tightly we hold Is it just me or did that not seem like Dream Adam towards the end there? Yeah, it felt different. But I'm not even sure if Adam is asleep. And is it possible for two people to share a dream? You're currently bouncing from head to head watching people's sleeping brains burst into song. Anything's possible. God, are any of these people happy? You're the one who wanted to learn their deep, dark secrets. I didn't say that. I said I wanted to get to know them. Well, what were you expecting, Rose? All humans have their issues. I guess, just despite all the drama, they seemed to have it together as a group. Like, they knew what they were doing. Does anyone ever really know what they're doing? Yes, thank you for the platitude. Super helpful. I'm serious. You don't know what you're doing. Sure I do. You're currently poking around in the most vulnerable spots of people's brains. People who don't know you all that well and definitely didn't invite you here. What's your point? I know that. I know what I'm doing. And clearly you're not at all conflicted about it. Based on the morally gray figure in your life acting as your dream guide and making you confront uncomfortable truths about yourself. Sarcasm is a very bad look on you. Rose, we're not even helping. The dreams keep changing to something worse. But maybe it will help. Maybe they need to confront some uncomfortable truths about themselves. Sam is apparently hiding a lot of her feelings from Mark. How do you know that? You're not inside their relationship. And Caleb and Adam clearly need to talk about how scared they are to graduate and be on their own. Maybe singing it all out in their dreams will make them talk about it in real life. Heavy on the maybe. How many people do you know that actually take their dreams that seriously? Okay, normal people, maybe not. But these aren't normal people. And they know what I can do. Maybe they'll put two and two together. And their first reaction won't be to accuse you of putting your head where it doesn't belong? I'm done having this conversation with you. You can't hide from me in Mark's dream, Rose. I go where you go. No, you don't. This is my world. I get to choose who I share it with. This is not just your world. You are in other people's head. There. That's better. Would you just hurry up? Would you just be a little patient? I want to make sure the framing is perfect. Put it on self-timer so you can get in here, too. In a minute. I want to get a few shots without my face sullying the picture. 
False modesty isn't a look you can pull off, Mark. Shut up and smile, Joni. That's great. Okay, just a few more. Just get in here already. Okay, okay. What? What happened? What did you do? I didn't do anything. It just cracked. You broke it. No, I didn't. You I... always break everything. No, it wasn't You broke my... it, Mark. You're broken, Mark. Stop. What are you talking about? I have too many broken things already. I don't need one more. No, 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 Sam, wait! <sighs> she always leaves. Why does she always leave me here? Because you're barely a person, Mark. You're just an echo of a memory. No. No, I'm not. I'm a full person. You don't even have your own power. You're only what other people make you. No. I'm my own person. I'm solid, and I'm not here anymore. I'm not in England. I'm not stuck. It was better when you were stuck. You came back broken. Stop, Joni. Stop. You're such a disappointment. I gave up everything for you. And look at what I have now. You have me. I'm back, and I'm me. I might not be the me that you remember, but I'm still your little brother. It's not good enough. It has to be. If you just stop trying to fix everything, we'd be okay. Not everything can be problem solved. You're wrong. You could at least try. I do! I tried! I tried so hard to be better for you. And you try, you always try, but there's nothing you can do. And it's okay, I'll find my way, but I need you, I need you to let me be. You've always been there to put me on my feet, time and time again. But I fell down and it broke my crown. I was alone where you could not follow. Now I'm shattered in pieces with missing bits, a shell of who I was. A jigsaw puzzle where nothing fits. And my sister, my girlfriend, and all of our friends could never put me together again. I look in the mirror and don't recognize me. I shy away from what I've become. When I look through your eyes, I see all I could be. But I fear that that me is long gone. Now I'm shattered in pieces with missing bits, farce of who I was. A jigsaw puzzle where nothing fits. And my sister, my girlfriend, and all of our friends could never put me together again. I was stuck in the dark for so long I thought that I would never see the day When I finally came into the light All that I knew had gone away
Now I'm shattered in pieces with missing bits The shade of what I was A jigsaw puzzle where nothing fits And you, Joni, no matter what you do, Joni, I'll make it through, Joni. But you'll never put me together again. Joni, please. Regretting poking into people's heads? Shut up! It starts like any other night, like any other dream. It pulls you in, you go where no one ever goes, and you think you know what. Lies within. I just wanted to know that I could trust them. All you've done is prove they can't trust you. No, that wasn't my aim. You think all that matters is your goal, but music bears the soul, and their minds are not a game. And I marvel at how far you've gone down this path and now you have to deal with the aftermath maybe they won't know you should go This episode of The Bright Sessions is brought to you by Casper. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. And Casper isn't just a mattress company. They offer a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience, which is especially important if you spend a lot of your time dreamwalking. Every atypical knows that better sleep leads to better dreams. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash therapy and using promo code therapy at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, that's $50 towards select mattress purchases by visiting casper.com slash therapy and using promo code therapy at checkout. Episode 50 was written and directed by Lauren Shippen and recorded and produced by Evan Cunningham and Misha Stanton. Music and lyrics by Evan Cunningham and Lauren Shippen with scoring and orchestrations by Evan Cunningham. The episode was sound designed by Misha Stanton. In this episode, you heard the voices of Alana Fox as Rose, Ian McEwen as Agent Green, Lauren Shippen as Sam, Andrew Nowak as Mark, Julia Morizawa as Dr. Bright, Brigham Snow as Caleb, and Alex Gallner as Adam. We'd love to thank all of our musicians, Megan Chung-Smith and Yu Ting Wu on violin, Dmitry Yevstefeyev on viola, Makala Schmitz on cello, Alex Straley on guitar, and Evan Cunningham on everything else. We'd also like to thank John Sams for documenting the process of making this episode, and Alyssa Adler, Paul Richards, David Charles Abel, Sean Alderking, Elizabeth and Matthew Harrington, Betsy Laird, Ellen Winter, and Chris Littler for all their various advice and encouragements. 
And a special thanks to Ben Acker for a conversation we had a few years ago that eventually led me to writing this episode. If you'd like to download the songs from this episode, they're available wherever you get your music. If you'd like a free download of all the music, as well as original demos, behind-the-scenes footage, and more, you can become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash thebrightsessions. The Bright Sessions will return on April 4th with episode 51. Joan. What? Where's my sister? Oh, um, I think she's in the kitchen with, with Adam, maybe. So she wasn't? No, 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 that wasn't really her. It, it wasn't Sam either. Right. Okay. Why me? What? Why'd you go into my dream? Oh, um, I, I was, I was just, You did uh, it with everyone, didn't you? You, you should go. I'm sorry. A few weeks ago, I chatted with Lauren about episode 50, and a few other things besides. She'd sent me the script and the demos, and it was based on those that I came up with the questions you're about to hear. Let's take a listen. Lauren, welcome back to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I, I know you've been making character playlists for forever, you mm-hmm. know, for for in-world inspiration, for out-of-world writing inspiration. When did it occur to you to do an episode of completely original music? It's something that I think has sort of been a lofty dream since the beginning, just because of my own love of musicals and how much I love music. But given the format of the show, I didn't think that it would necessarily ever be possible. And then about two years ago, I was at Coffee with Ben Acker, who um, made the Thrilling Adventure Hour with Ben Blacker. And we were talking about live shows and, you know, taking podcasts into live shows. And he was sort of saying, like, have you ever considered doing The Bright Sessions as a live show? And this was sometime in our second season. So it was still very much kind of the therapy format. And I said, I don't know how we would do it. I, you know, I don't know exactly what it would look like. And we were sort of just tossing around ideas. And he sort of said, well, like, what if, what if you'd like a dream sequence as a live show? You know, like, what if somebody had the ability that they could go into people's dreams and you could have kind of this conceptual live show? And so I stole Ben Acker's idea. <laughs> oh, is that, that's, Rose came out of that idea? Yes. So Rose is sort of a, has been like a sleeper agent of a character since season three when she was introduced. Because I wanted to introduce another character that had been through the AM to kind of humanize the AM a little bit and show sort of Agent Green's relationship to the patients there. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, what exactly that was going to look like. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe I can make it this, this Dreamwalker because that's an ability that, you know, even before I talked to Ben, I'd sort of thought about doing. And then the fantasy of maybe doing a live show someday, which, you know, still may or may not happen. We have no immediate plans to do so, but it's something that I'm always thinking about. I sort of thought, okay, well, I'm just going to put her, I'm going to make this character that's sort of here to show Agent Green in the AM as maybe more benevolent agencies than we thought, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it so that I can bring her back if we want to do this later on. Um, Not knowing if that was ever going to happen. At that point, I think this was episode 30 that she's first introduced, I didn't know if she was going to come back and I didn't know if we were ever going to do a dream sequence. Because after Ben and I had sort of talked about 
what a live show would be like, my mind immediately jumped to like, oh, well, what if it was a musical? Because that's always where my mind is going to go. And so that's also why I cast Alana as Rose is because Alana has a very strong musical theater background. And I knew, again, I wanted to sort of have that like sleeper agent ability in her of like whoever was going to play Rose would have to sing because she would sort of be the narrator of this musical episode. So, you know, I think the seeds of it kind of were throughout seasons two and three. And then last summer in between, as sort of as I was writing the beginning of season four and we'd, we were winding down season three, I was talking to a friend of mine, Megan Fitzmartin, whom, whom you know, about the idea of foolishness and just kind of how that, that manifests itself and sort of um, not wanting to look foolish, you know, either in your position at work or with other people. And I was just thinking about how like that's something that Sam really feels. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be made a fool by like getting too close to people. And so that night after, after um, I got home, I basically wrote all the lyrics to Foolish, which is Sam's song, which at this point is called Foolish and might end up being called Impossible. I'm not totally sure yet because we're recording this before, you know, the, the episode actually comes out. So things may change. But so yeah, I wrote that last June like eight months ago. And it was something that kind of just sat in my notebook for about a month. And then in July, I started talking to Evan, who composed the the episode and and who's been our composer since season three, sort of thinking like, talking to him and sort of saying, do you think this is something that we could do? And he was so on board. And then I kind of wrote the rest of the, the lyrics in August and September. And then it just sort of became a thing of like, oh, I guess we're actually doing this. Um, and here we are. So have you have you composed a lot of music before? Never in my life. No, that's not true. <laughs> I've never, I've never composed any music that I haven't shared that wasn't for a grade. <laughs> you know, so I, I think like as a lot of people and a lot of creatives and people who love music, I definitely tried my hand at songwriting when I was in middle and high school. None of those songs will ever see the light of the day in the same way that none of the novels I wrote when I was 14 will ever see the light of the day. But then, you know, in, in college, I was a music major. And so there's a certain degree of composition that's required for your grade. But none of that involved any kind of lyrical composition. It was just music. And I think my favorite, my favorite composition assignment I had in college was in my post-tonal theory class in senior year, where we had to compose a five-minute piece for the piano without using any of the piano keys, without actually like playing the piano. So, you know, just like, plucking the strings, using the lid, using, you know, kind of like the bench, like whatever you could could kind of figure out to make sounds from a piano without actually playing it. And so I just, you know, the first minute of the piece was just silence. Because <laughs> that's something you can do in post-tonal techniques, just be like, here's five minutes of silence, that's a song. Sure. Thanks, John Cage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, dabbled and in college, I, I sort of, I wrote a couple other songs that I, I'm sort of less embarrassed of, but certainly I'd never thought that I would write anything that would see the light of day. And I, I, I certainly cannot claim responsibility for these, these songs. Um, I brought the lyrics to Evan and he did a lot of the melody composing and also fixed a lot of the lyrics. So it was definitely a, a joint effort. What sort of music does Evan like? Oh man, everything. I really should be doing this, this with him. Um, you should, you should have him on. So he is sort of a, you know, jack of all trades when it comes to music. He was also a music major. Um, we met in college, we sang acapella together, which is, is how we met. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I've known him for a long time and have been making music with him for a long time, but this is obviously like the first thing we've ever written together. And he has a band called Far Places that is kind of like tropical house music. It's kind of like vibey, chill music. But he also does a lot of, you know, sort of more traditional like singer-songwriter acoustic stuff. 
He does a lot of experimental stuff that's super, super cool that I keep like pushing him to release because it's awesome. And he listens, I mean, he listens to everything, the whole, the whole range of things. I think he's really into kind of like the electronic stuff at the moment, but then, you know, still singer songwriter. We definitely like bonded over music in, in college of like, you know, Matt Duke and um, what are some of the other bands that we really liked? Uh, I'd have to like look up the the mixtape that I made for him. <laughs> I genuinely, I was in secrets. <laughs> I had him for Secret Santa in our acapella group and I made him a mixtape because that's what I do for people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's sort of everything. So something that I really appreciate about what you did in episode 50 you know, there's a chance that, like, you know, saying it was all a dream can feel like a cheap justification. Mm, mm-hmm. Like you're yanking something away from the audience, but what you you don't do that in this. Rose experiencing other characters' dreams is this heightened, unreal state that nevertheless has plot significance. Yeah. And so we know from the beginning, from the first number, from the first moment, that what we're experiencing is a dream, but that doesn't mean that it's not important. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, you know, at the very least has consequence for Rose because this is such a huge part of her life as we've, we've, you know, come to learn. And then, you know, as we see in the end, it's like Mark is aware enough of what, what happened and, you know, time will tell if the rest of the characters sort of put the pieces together because, yeah, it isn't just someone having a dream and then waking up and being like, it was all a dream. It's sort of this like mass delusion that they're sharing in some ways, or that Rose is sharing with each of them individually. You'd been thinking about this device from the moment that you came up with Rose, right? Yes. Yeah. This was always something lingering in the back of my mind. And then it was just a matter of like, oh, can we actually do this? Can I actually write lyrics? Um, will Evan and I work well together? You know, will the actors be down for it? Can we afford it? About half our season's budget went to this episode. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So it was just a matter of sort of figuring out if we could do it. And then finally at the beginning of the season, knowing that I've known that this was going to be the last season for a while. And so this season sort of being like, you know what? I'm just going to get all of my druthers <laughs> and I'm going to have them and it's going to happen somehow. Sure. So. I know you're a big Sondheim fan, and mm-hmm. I, I think you like all the really difficult Sondheim. <laughs> Probably. In my opinion, like Passion and Sunday in the Park with George. And that isn't to say that any Sondheim is easy, per se. Sure. But would it be accurate to say that you're drawn to these, like, dense, complex works about art and love? Yeah, yeah, I think that is is accurate. It's funny. I I, uh, I got into a long debate the other day with a good friend who does not like Sondheim. And the reason she doesn't like Sondheim is that you don't necessarily leave a Sondheim show like carrying a tune. And I, I think it's hard for me sometimes to be objective about him because I grew up, you know, some of the first music I, I think I ever heard as a baby was Sondheim. Wow. Okay. Like my, my, my dad is a huge, huge Sondheim fan and my parents are big musical theater people. My sister, one of the sort of facts they love to tell about my sister is that she had all of Into the Woods memorized by the time that she was five years old. So it was stuff that was just playing in our house constantly. And so I think now that I'm in my twenties, it's such a part of my sort of cognitive language that as I get older, I'm drawn more and more to the difficult stuff because it's almost like in the, in the same way that, you know, the older you get, the more complex reading you can dig into. Um, and for me, it's just sometimes, you know, was sort of one of my first languages. Um, you know, I knew his music before I actually could read. And it's the way that my family communicates a lot of the time. Like actually, literally when, when uh, 
I sent my family the the demos for the musical episode, um, my dad literally emailed back with a Sondheim quote. Like it, that's just sort of how we talk to each other. So I think that what did that, he say? Uh, he said, give us more to see, parentheses here, because that, that's a line from Sunday the Park with George. And obviously, see doesn't necessarily work for audio. <laughs> um, but it's it's one of my favorite lines about art, um, which is, it's the end of Move On, one of the last last numbers in Sunday in the Park with George. And it's, anything you do, let it come from you, then it will be new, give us more to see. And it's just, I, that's a, the quote, a quote that, uh, all of my actors and every friend that I have is so sick of hearing from me because I quote it all the time. Um, what does it mean to you? It is, it is what I, I, I want and what I think is my philosophy on making something, which is that the whole discussion that, that George and Dot are having in that song is him saying, I don't have anything to say. It's all been said. It's the 1970s now. Art is done. You know, everything's been said. And Dot saying back to him, like, no, but it hasn't been said by you. You know, if people in the past may have said it. People before you may have said it, but you haven't said it. And, and if you haven't said it, it's still worth saying if you have an, a point of view on it. And so I think that whole thing of, like, anything you do, let it come from you, then it will be new. Of just, it doesn't matter. Art is cyclical. There's six plots, whatever, you know, the old adage is. But until you say it, you know, it hasn't been done to death. Like you might have something new to bring to it. You might have, have something new to say and it's probably worth saying. Sort of the, the, there being value in every single person's perspective, I think is something that I like to believe. What are some pieces of craft and technique from Sondheim and, and from your other favorite influences that you think you've employed uh, in episode 50? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I would love to say that I employ some of Sondheim's techniques, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. Uh, what 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 inspires you, I guess, is maybe a better... Sure. Yeah. So there is actually a direct Sondheim quote in one of the songs, which is in Caleb and Adam's song, running away, let's do it, is a line from Into the Woods from the song No More. And that was that was kind of me, you know, tipping my hat as it were, which is something that, you know musical composers do. Like in Hamilton, there's two major quotes to past musicals. There's um, You've Got to Be Carefully Taught, which is from South Pacific that Aaron Burr says in, in one of the first numbers. And then... Um, sit Down, John. Nobody needs to know. Oh, Sit Down, John. That's right. 1776. So there's three. Um, there's probably more. And there's tons of hip-hop references. That there's I'm- tons of hip-hop references. But yeah, the, those those three musical theater references, the other one being um, Nobody Needs to Know at the end of Say Yes to This is a um, direct quote from Last Five Years by Jason Robert Brown. And it's something that Sondheim has done, you know, gesturing to Roger Hammerstein and to Bernstein. So that's sort of the, the direct kind of like little like, you know, nod and wink that we have in there. But I think using music to sort of express deep emotion that's hard to express in just words alone is something that that definitely, you know, sort of carries through the episode. Probably Together Again is the most, Mark's song is probably the most, the most inspired by Sondheim, just in the sense that it's very sad. <laughs> And it's someone sort of having a, you know, an emotional breakdown in song, which is something he does a lot. But one, one thing that um, was really fun for me, one of Sondheim's big sort of tenets that he has about writing, he's got these three rules, and I'm not going to remember them correctly, probably. Um, it's less is more, content dictates form, and oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Make it up. I haven't read Finishing the Hat. You can get away with it. Okay. <laughs> Um, yes, finishing the hat and look, I made a hat are two 
just amazing, amazing books on writing. I highly recommend them to, to everybody. Oh, yes, God is in the details. So it's, yeah, content dictates form, less is more, God is in the details, all in the service of clarity. And that was something that I am not, I don't think, naturally good at, or I haven't quite trained myself to be good at those things because the writing that I do in the Bright Sessions is very naturalistic. And I try to stay as close to how human beings talk as possible. And human beings almost never speak in the service of clarity unless they are actually planning out what they're going to say. But songwriting has to do that. And so one thing that was really fun for me was bringing these lyrics to Evan and having him kind of pull them apart, find the center, and then put them back together with fewer words and getting the exact same result. Because, you know, I'm a writer. He's a lyricist. Those are two sort of very different types of writing. And that was really satisfying to see like, oh, yes, less is more. I cannot be as verbose in this as I normally am in my writing because it needs to have clarity and there needs to be a flow and a rhythm to this language that there doesn't have to be in scripts. So that was that was really fun for me to see how he kind of would almost like, yeah, take apart this this puzzle and then put it back together and getting the same end result, but using fewer pieces, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that because of the heightened dream state and because of the musicality that the numbers kind of strip all the subtext out of the the way that those characters would normally speak in a waking life conversation. Mm-hmm. Like Mark would never be that straight with Joan about anything. No, no. Yeah, and that's that's what was really fun about it, you know? What do you feel like you can say with music that you can't say with ordinary dialogue? There's something about the pairing of melody and lyrics that just drives right to the heart of the matter. And I think to the Western ear, people who have, you know, kind of grown up listening to Western music, and which is, you know, sort of most people in America, even if you know no music theory and you've never really thought about music in, in a sort of critical or compositional way, we're trained to sort of expect certain things from chordal progressions and from voice leading and whatnot. And so I think that with music, you're kind of starting in a more universal place than with just words, where especially in in in, in bright sessions where, you know, I'm constantly trying to find ways to describe these unreal things, you know, these abilities. I think you know, one of the sort of biggest challenges has been figuring out how to describe Caleb's ability. You know, how, how, what do emotions actually feel like? How can you describe emotions without using those words? And you have to do a lot more work to sort of explain to somebody what sadness feels like without using any synonyms for sadness. Whereas with music, we know what sadness sounds like in music because of hundreds of years of Western music composition. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, Mark's song is definitely... I think the most overtly sad song. And that was the song that took us the shortest amount of time to write. I brought kind of some mismatched lyrics. I had the chorus, but the verses were kind of a mess to Evan. And he sort of fiddled around with him for a second. And we wrote that whole song in about 40 minutes. And it's because I said to him, this is the saddest song. This is the lowest point of the episode. And he just went, Oh, great. And instantly started figuring out (laughs) out a chordal progression. He was like, that's that sad is my language, I think is what he said. And it took just no time at all. Just it flowed because the emotion was there and it was very clear. And it sort of has been building up with these characters for a while. And then sadness as as a as a sort of musical mode is something that 
that he was very comfortable in and that I recognize as somebody who's, you know, performed and listened to a lot of sad music. And so I think that it's almost like skipping a couple steps to get to the heart of the matter. And, and on, the, on the other side of the coin, one of the fun things is then sort of counteracting that. So in Rose's song, and to see what I see in the chorus, through the looking glass, I go into a world that's unpredictable. That, that world that's unpredictable is not where that chordal progression is supposed to go. <laughs> and it's something that, that Evan and I sort of like, you know, talked about a little bit of like, should we do sort of the thing that your ear expects it to do? And then we sort of decided like, no, we want this to, we want it to feel like the, the floor is falling out from under you a little bit because you're in Rose's world now. You want it to be unpredictable. Unpredictable, right? exactly. And so using that universal language that everybody who listens to music inherently knows and either leaning into it or going against it, depending on what you're trying to achieve, I think helps you kind of skip a lot of steps. In the same way that I think, you know, framing the Bright Sessions originally in therapy sessions, you need very little setup because people kind of understand what therapy is supposed to look like and sound like. So I think just sort of using those little almost like cheat codes, I feel like music is that sometimes in terms of, in terms of emotion of sometimes I can't express some, I mean, I think this is why I make mixtapes for people, right? Is because it's like, I can't necessarily express this thing through words. So here's 17 songs to describe it to you <laughs> that will do it better than I ever could. What was the hardest song for you to write for this? Hmm. It's interesting because once I was in the room with Evan, He's so good and has such an amazing musical instinct that the process of writing the songs was actually so much easier than I ever thought it would be. And it was so fun. Like together, all four songs took us about, well, four and a half. Agent Green's sort of reprisal of um, Rose's song, I just sort of added in at the end. I wrote the lyrics and just sent them to Evan and said, like, do something weird with this. So that one we kind of didn't even write together because it was based off, you know, an existing melody um, that we'd already written. But yeah, the four songs, the four main songs took us about four hours to write in total. Um, and it was just so fun and so easy. The lyrics, Sam's song basically came out, you know, wholesale. Um, Rose's song too is pretty quick. And that one actually um, had sort of a melody already when I, when I brought it to Evan and he made it better. I think Caleb and Adam's song actually was the hardest to write because I knew I wanted it to be sort of the least musical theatery and the most poppy because of who they are and what it was saying and what it was doing. But I also wanted it to abruptly change. <laughs> and I, I literally, that was the, the song that I brought to Evan that was like, here is an idea of a song and a couple of lyrics, make it a thing. And, and he did that. So I think that one was the hardest for me just because I sort of had the, the journey that I wanted them to go on. And I had sort of the, the opening line of you're a puzzle, a painting, a Shakespeare playing kind of that, that thing of them sort of not understanding each other necessarily, but loving each other anyway. And then kind of realizing that they're maybe too different to sort of make it work. But I didn't really know how to express that in a way that was very structured. Cause I think the nice thing about musical theater is that it doesn't have to be structured. And certainly the songs lyrically were much more unstructured when I brought them to Evan. And that one I knew inherently kind of, even in getting into to writing the lyrics that it needed to be kind of a very clear, like first chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, something weird, B section. <laughs> and I just, I, uh, that verse, chorus, first chorus sort of uh, bamboozled me for a little while. So that was probably the hardest, which is funny because it's the simplest, you know? What made it the simplest? Because it was a pop song? and Yeah, I mean, just, just sort of in execution, it is the most A-B-A-B. I mean, all of them are have like an A-B structure, but then there's like a little bit of variance in each and some like, you know, kind of 
unexpected sort of modal changes and things like that. And, and, and until the B section of Against the World, it's, it's like a fairly standard pop song, which I love. But for whatever reason, that was, that was hard to crack. So I don't think I'm going to you know, become a, a pop songwriter anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Not my strength. Do you think you're going to write more musical theater in the future? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so The Bright Sessions, as The Bright Sessions, is going to end with episode 56. Yes. But uh, you released a like a press release of sorts, like a, a big old memo that said what your plans were for after the show. Mm-hmm. I know you can't say <laughs> anything about the first spinoff, so you're doing two spinoffs. Yeah. One of them is kind of spoilery, so I'm not going to ask about it. And then the other one is about Caleb in a new situation. Is this like a different world? Is this like a different (laughs) world to your Cosby show? Is that like what's going on here? Is he going to college? I mean, maybe. He might be doing that. (laughs) What I will say about that spinoff is that it's happening fall of 2020 for a reason, which is that as a lot of our listeners know, you know, Caleb has Instagram and, 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 you know, we've tried to sort of integrate a degree of multimedia stuff to the show. And it's just one of those things that's like too much for, for me to do on top of everything else. And I mean, Brigham has taken over Caleb's Instagram, but then we got to a point where it's like timelines are so messed up because the show as of now is still in March of 2017 <laughs> and, you know, you can't backdate on Instagram. So it just kind of became a little bit messy to, to, to post on there, but we want to do, we want to integrate social media more and so the 2020 spinoff will sort of happen, not necessarily in real time, but it will be sort of concurrent with where Caleb would be in 2020. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you can deduce from that pretty easily. Sure. But beyond that, you know, what other characters may or may not be in it, I won't tell you what exactly it will be about. Yeah. And the, and the first spinoff is one of those things where it's like, I don't really necessarily feel like we're ending the show because the first spinoff definitely involves a lot of what happens at the end of this season. Oh, you're killing me. All right. It's not necessarily a direct <laughs> continuation, but it, it definitely picks up a thread. But it's not It's not like the sort of thing where the series finale isn't going to be like, oh, and then everyone's encased in ice for 10,000 years. That's exactly what it is. Oh, God damn it. Really? That's exactly what we're doing. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So the next series takes place in 4002. Sure. Um. No, no, the, the series finale is going to be, so I mean, really the, the reason for for kind of ending it and moving into these different formats is because I'm a very tired woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. It is, a, it is a grueling production schedule simply because I am the only writer and I am the only director and, and the only production manager, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the hope is that for these spinoffs, we'll get a couple more writers on board because also I, I, you know... I'm very aware that I have a limited perspective and can draw from that as as much as I can. And I definitely want to highlight other perspectives that are not my own, but I don't necessarily think that I'm the right person to be writing those things. So that's, that's part of the reason. And then the other reason is I I do think that, you know, like Welcome to Night Vale has been running for over a hundred episodes, but Welcome to Night Vale is a show that is so unique in the sense that you can drop in at any time and enjoy it. And if you really enjoy it and want to go back and listen all the way through, it will still be, you know, satisfying because it does have a linear narrative that, you know, sort of arcs over the whole thing. But it, it can sort of pick up new new fans and new life by just people dropping in on the, the latest episode and sort of figuring out that like, okay, this is Nightdale's thing and it's cool and I like it and now I'm on board. With the Bright Sessions, you cannot drop into any episode past like episode three and have any idea what's going on. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I, I expected at most we'd 
go to 50 episodes. And there was definitely a version of this season that was just 10 episodes and ended at episode 50. And that was that. Um, and then I was like, I don't want to shortchange, you know, what we're doing. I want it to be another 16 episode season. But ideally with the spinoffs, even though it is a continuation in some senses, it involves a lot of the same characters and, and some plot lines, new people will be able to jump in with episode one of the spinoff and be like, okay, I get who everybody is. I get where we are. I get what's going on. But then also, you know, previous fans will be able to enjoy it. So rather than trying to be like, okay, we're on episode 99, go back to episode one and catch up on 35 hours of content in order to listen to this. So yeah, it's really just making it so that more and more people can consume it because I, I want more and more people to listen to it. And also I feel like, you know, we did this with Our Fair City when I was a big part of Our Fair City. It's such a big ask to get somebody to go back to the beginning of your podcast feed. Yeah. Especially if it's like the first podcast you've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and be like, here, acquaint yourself with my worst work on this project. Yeah. And that's not, that. I don't mean that as a dig, right? But no, like, but, that, but that is, that's how it should be. Your first episode should be the worst thing that you put out because you should be getting better all the time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I absolutely understand that impulse. Yeah. And well, particularly with the first nine episodes being, you know, recorded on a Blue Yeti when I had no idea what I was doing. And then the first 16 episodes being entirely sound designed by me as well. It's like, I'm very conscious of the fact that the quality, just the mere sound quality of the show improves immensely after the first two seasons. And I think my writing improves. I think, you know, like the actors only get more and more compelling in their roles. They grow more and more comfortable with them. And, and so I think that it's something that you know, jumping into episode one of, of, a, of a 13 episode spinoff, if that's how many episodes it is, is a little less daunting. And then if you're a, a person who really, really loves it, you can go back to episode one of the Bright Sessions and kind of see what happened to these characters beforehand, maybe meet some characters that you hadn't met in the spinoff and kind of, you know, fill out the world a little bit more. Are you at liberty to say, given that you are the busiest gal in Hollywood, <laughs> um, what's, what's going on with the television adaptation? Are you NDA'd to the hilt or can you talk about that a little? I mean, I can talk about it in the sense that I know as much as is out there, just in the sense that, you know, the last thing that was announced was that it's in development with Dark Horse and UCP. That is still the case. We are all still having a great time developing it. But, you know, TV development takes a long time. And, you know, my my co-writer is working on some other things as well. And so, you know, she's out of town sometimes and, and you know, I'm writing books and doing this show. And so it's one of those things that's like, we're all churning away at in the background and sort of pushing it forward. But, you know, if anybody listening has ever scheduled a meeting in L.A., you know, it takes about eight weeks to do that. Um, and then another eight, eight weeks to, to schedule the follow-up. So it's, it's, I am very happy with everything that's been going on with it so far. I'm really excited about what the show could be and kind of what Gab and I have come up with. She's amazing and, and everybody on board is so enthusiastic about what the show is and what's unique about it. And, you know, the moment I have more to share on that, I, I, I will, but I, I don't actually have any updates. Sure. And and who are you working with again to develop the show? I'm working with Gabrielle Stanton, who has worked on The Flash and Haven. She worked on Farscape back in the day. I mean, she is, you know, the real deal and just the coolest, coolest woman and just like gets it. Like, I just feel so lucky as a sort of independent, scrappy creator. I was very... uh tentative about any potential sort of Hollywood types, you know, coming to knock on my door. And I've just been so pleasantly surprised with every single person that's been working with me on it because they're all like, they all just really get what it is, you know, which is, is super, super nice. So yeah, you know, all that we can hope for is that that will continue and, you know, sort of the, the next step is finding a network and um, just finding those right people. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, I thought I thought this was with um, NBC, no? Well, so it's with um, UCP. It's the, their production company? Yeah. So, you know, you get your producers, then you get your studio, then you get your network. Um, and so we're about two-thirds of the way through that process. UCP has been so, so great. I mean, they're just – the first meeting I had with them – sort of when I was pitching it to them, I was like, oh, like you guys, you get it. You get exactly what this is. And, and that's really exciting because it's, you know, I talked to some other people even before I started working with Dark Horse about it. And they sort of were like, oh yeah, like, you know, you know, gritty superhero show. I'm like, that's, that's not what it is. <laughs> it's people having emotions. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, you know, everybody on board now really, really gets that, which is super nice. And they're all, you know, big fans of the podcast. And so they know what they're getting into. They get, they get how gritty it is. It's so gritty. So edgy. (laughs) (laughs) I want to 180 real quick in terms of media and and talk to you about your book deal. Like, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a a busy sort of 10 months for me, David. (laughs) Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. I saw on Twitter you just finished the first draft. I did. Of your first Bright Sessions novel. Yeah. How was that? Weirdly emotional. Like, (laughs) it was, it was, it's funny because I've been working on this book. I started this book back in 2015 because as I was writing Caleb's story and sort of in the podcast, I was like, ugh, I need to build out the language of what exactly this this ability is. And I also want to sort of figure out what's going on in Adam's head throughout all of this. And so I started writing this book just as like an exercise for myself. Because at that point, I was much more comfortable writing prose because I hadn't written any scripts before writing The Bright Sessions, but I'd spent a lot of time in middle and high school writing short stories and starting novels that I never finished. And I ended up sending it to bring in kind of the first like 20 pages when it became clear that Adam was going to become a character in the show because I was like, here's some stuff that might help illuminate kind of where they're at maybe and then illuminate kind of who Adam is. So I sent that to Brigan and, and he was sort of the first person to to read that other than my sister actually who who also read it because I was like, here, I'm writing this thing and I know you like reading stuff. So here you go. Um, and then I just put it away because I was like, this is never going to be a thing and I don't have time to write a novel, you know, on top of writing this, the series that's sort of following the same story. And then when I was talking to my my book agent last year and we were sort of talking about what we wanted to pursue in terms of, of Bright Sessions books, I, I mentioned this and sent it to him and he was like, yeah, no, like keep keep doing this. And I'm really passionate about YA. I read a lot of YA and I it's something that's super important to me. And so, yeah, finishing the draft was really interesting because I've sort of been working on it in earnest since probably last February. Um, so it's only been a bit like about a year. But, you know, finishing an, a novel has been a dream of mine since I was probably seven or eight years old and was getting super into reading. And it ended up being a a story that's really important to me as a queer person and as a person who has struggled with mental health issues. And, um, you know, it's a lot about that, which shouldn't be a surprise for anybody who knows Caleb and Adam's story. So yeah, it was, it was just, it was really, it was really satisfying in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. I think because, you know, as much as I have finished the first draft there are so many edits I have to do. And there's, you know, a bunch of structural stuff I need to fix. I want to add some more chapters. Like, you know, there's still so much work ahead of me, but just sort of having that first kind of thing done was really exciting and really, um, I don't know, it was like just more emotional than I thought it would be. Did you find it cathartic? Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like a big exhale, you know, of like, oh, that's done. And I got a lot of stuff out into that that I, I sort of didn't know... I needed to put into words. And I think, you know, there's a there's a point 
probably in any kind of writing where you are looking back over your thing and you're like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> and I sort of hit that point in like December and January when I was doing kind of my first pass in the very, very roughest draft of the novel. And then it's sort of in this last pass, um, building it out, I was like, oh, no, this is a book that I would read, which I just, I did not expect to have that feeling because I, I tend to be my harshest critic. That's not to say that it's necessarily good. I did text your friend and I was like, is it possible to have Stockholm syndrome about your own book? Because <laughs> I'm a little worried that that's what's happening here. <laughs> but that's when you said it to the editor and you're like, I have been looking at this for too long. I need somebody else's eyes on it because even if it, even if it does need work, I don't know that I can do that right now because I cannot be objective about it. I've been kicking around this idea for the past couple of years, which is that I don't believe that any artistic endeavor can be undertaken by a single human being. Mm. And I want I want to know what you think of that assertion. Like yeah, yes, obviously if I wanted to, you know, I could write and edit my own book, but I don't think it would be nearly as good as if it passed through several other pairs of hands. Yes. Yeah, so I I would agree with that. I mean, it's interesting cuz I only in sort of the past I don't know, year have become really comfortable with the idea of really collaborating with someone. Because obviously, you know, I've been collaborating with my actors and with with Misha throughout the series. But at the end of the day, you know, I am sort of the, the, the sole writer and the decider of things. And that was the point of the show, was for me to make something that I could do entirely on my own other than the other voice acting. Because I I didn't want to have to rely on other people to to make something. And I think that that was good to start because I think that you know, I can demand a lot of myself and I do demand a lot of myself and I was able to get the thing out there versus like maybe some other times where I've tried to to maybe make something with somebody and it's never quite come to fruition because neither of us are fully in it or we're not necessarily pulling equal weight, myself included. Like sometimes I've been doing stuff with friends and they're doing a lot more and I'm doing less and it just doesn't work out. Whereas now I look back on it and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I was doing the bulk of the work and maybe I'm doing a lot of the work now, but I've never been doing this alone. And it's not just the fact that even in those first nine episodes when it was just the four of us, the actors were giving me so many ideas. And I mean, you know, Julia showed up to the first day of recording with a binder full of stuff <laughs> of, of, you know, all the scripts printed out and marked up and a biography about Joan. Oh, wow. No, I mean, she does not mess around. She is she's just the most amazing woman I've ever met. And it's one of those things that like, even if we didn't necessarily talk about the specifics of certain things, the way that she approached stuff obviously affected my writing. And then my sister, who's been the psychological consultant since the beginning, because she's a professional psychologist, her being my ear all along and, and, and her being the person that I could send scripts to and just have someone other than myself and who wasn't necessarily involved in in the podcast from you know a professional standpoint, being like, yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying this and I want to see what's next and also hear some things that need to be fixed was that was super helpful. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think anything ever gets made in a vacuum because I think even if you do write something and edit it yourself and self publish it, you're still being influenced by everything around you and you're still being influenced by what you think people are going to think about it. I think it took me a long time to realize that whatever I'm thinking people are going to think is either worse or better than what people are actually going to think. And it's probably just best to ask someone, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like instead of making up in my head, like, oh, people are going to have this reaction to this, just sending the thing and being like, am I crazy? Or am I right in thinking that this is good or this is garbage? I did that today. I, I sent a, a script of 51 um, to my sister 
and was like, I just, this doesn't involve therapy, but I just need a gut check on this. And she sent back being like, I think this is my favorite episode you've ever written. It's very cool. And I'm like, great. Okay. I'm not going crazy. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I also, the, it's another character episode that's like from the perspective of one character. And the actor who plays that character texted me today and was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. So I can't wait. But yeah, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that, um, you can make anything alone. And that's, that feels like a 180 for me sort of over the past couple of years. Cause even though I had voice actors from the beginning, I still felt like, oh, I have to do this alone, which is just has never been true and, and is not productive. So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited because this is so, so different from anything we've ever done. I really hope that that listeners like it. And yeah, you should definitely, uh, if you're, if you want to talk to to Evan Cunningham, our composer, definitely let me know because he is a very busy man, but super, super cool and smart. And I, you know, this would not have happened at all without him. So I'm, I'm just very, very grateful to him for that. And that bears repeating. Sure. And where can the good people find Evan online? He, so he is Evan Cunningham for his uh, like film composing. So if you sort of search Evan Cunningham composer, he should he should pop up. Um, he is Evan Chambers on Twitter and Instagram and the like. Because like me, he goes uh, sometimes by his middle name. Shippen is my middle name. And he has a band, Far Places, that is excellent. You can find them at Far Places Music on Twitter and everywhere else. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for spending this time with me to chat. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so good to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. Are there podcasts that you'd love to see do a musical episode? Are there podcast musicals that we haven't featured, that I haven't heard yet, that you're wild about and you want me to hear? Hit me up. We're at Radio Drama on Twitter. You can follow The Bright Sessions on Twitter and Patreon to follow along with production updates and support the show. And now, it's time for some credits. Our theme music is Danger Digi-Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreau, baritone. When Rose entered his dream, she found herself in a firelit pub on a rainy night. Tendrils of fog curl up just outside the door, but they can't come in. The door's too sturdy. Our interview's producer is Eli McElveen, baritone. Rose entered his dream through the drawer of an enormous antique apothecary cabinet full of dried flower buds, herbs, and resins. Around her, hanging on the wall in frames of twining green wood, were hundreds of beautiful botanical illustrations, as far as the eye could see. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau, mezzo-sopranos. When Rose entered Heather's dream, she beheld a ceaseless road, translucent and slightly gummy. It was only after many minutes of walking that she realized it was not a road, but a noodle. An endless noodle in a bowl of japchae, strung between mountains of mushroom and pepper, the roadside studded with boulders of sesame seed. Upon entering Monique's dream, Rose discovered a vast purple sea, studded with icebergs made from purest crystal. The air was filled with the keening note of whale song, and as sparkling radiation whirled above in the atmosphere, the floating crystals caught the light and shone. Rose could not enter the dream of executive producer Fred Greenhalge, Basso Profundo. When she attempted to penetrate his mind, she beheld a great black gate, all made of horn and bone, its geometry ridged, scarred, and puckered. She placed a hand upon the gate, and in a single voice, all the trees of the great Grimwood cried out, No, this is no place for you. This is no place for a musical number. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, 
baritone, and professional ham. And when Rose entered my dream, she saw that this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. Oh, oh, overtone singing is when you're, yeah, when you're using, when you actually produce two tones. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I have not ever done this. Okay. Um, maybe, there... maybe some other time. I'm not going to yell into the microphone. <laughs> Can you do it? Uh, I think so. Do you, do you want me to do it now or I, should I save I, it for another I time? I do. <laughs> uh, okay. Whoa. I think. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease.